Okay, my name is Jose Ramos. I'm going to be chairing this session on money and employment. And um, there's some really fascinating contributions, money, currencies, um, and a whole number of different aspects um, of, uh, of the way that we uh, exchange and produce with each other and work. I'd like to introduce uh, Michael Bernie, did I pronounce that correctly? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he'll be speaking um, about uh, unemployment um, as a distribution problem, not a production problem. Michael Bernie has had a passion for alternative economics since the 1970s. He is a member of Economic Reform Australia and edited and wrote for his journal during the 1990s. He is involved in Let's Community Exchange and ran the Blue Mountain Group for many years. He writes on economics, especially about the positive side of technological unemployment, a very controversial subject. He is currently studying economics at the University of New England um, and is involved in organizing and promoting research on carbon sequestration in organic agriculture as a solution to climate change. So over to you, uh, Michael. Yes. An alternative title to this quote could be, Why Do We Work? Yes. In this world where we have all but solved the survival problem, our attitudes to work have not caught up with the new reality. Why, in the face of such abundance, do so many people have to struggle just to survive? And why, in so many of us have to curb our natural talents and passions? and spend our lives engaged in boring, often useless drudgery? And how is it we can justify building the world's biggest coal mine? Because it will create jobs. I love looking at this graph. It points to the incredible developments that have occurred over the last 150 years. We're part of an ongoing process. It started with the Industrial Revolution and shows no sign of abating. Over here, in the late 19th century in the developed world, the average working week was over 60 hours. People worked 12 hours a day and half a day on Saturday. And by the end of the 20th century, this had reduced to what we have now, around 40 hours. And when you look at the red line, which is the number of hours worked over a year, the reduction is even greater. That's because we now have more than double the holidays than they had back then. And if you include the number of years spent working over a lifetime, which isn't shown here, then the drop in work time is well over 50%. But the graph doesn't give the full picture. What's not shown here is the dramatic change in living standards that have gone along with the reduction in work hours. People at this end of the graph didn't really have time for anything but work. You worked from your early teens till you died or you were no longer physically capable. In return for all this work, you got what would now be considered a very basic lifestyle. Food, shelter and clothes and not much more. 
there was still the very early days of medical and public health advances, and life expectancy was starting to increase, but average life expectancy at birth was still only 45 years. And now we work half the amount, we've got washing machines, cars, computers, iPhones and the internet, but social security, paid retirement, medical and health advances have almost doubled life expectancy to 80 years. People back then couldn't have dreamed of how things would change for the better. And the, the changes aren't limited to the developed world. The rest of the world lags behind us, but changes in um, poverty reduction and life expectancy in developing countries have been huge. And the cause of all this, mostly technological development. Machines have increased our productivity to the point where one person can now do the work that used to take hundreds. And there doesn't seem to be an end to it. Our technological ability just keeps on advancing. Lately, there's been much discussion in the media and in academic circles about the next round of technological advance and what effects will be on our lives. With the mind-boggling increases in computing power and the rise of cheap robotics, many people are saying we're on the cusp of a new technological revolution that will profoundly change our world. Some studies suggest in the next 20 years around half of current jobs will be lost to the robots and computers. Of course, there will be many new types of work to take the place of lost jobs, some we can't even imagine yet. Could the people back then have ever conceived of jobs such as computer programmers or solar panel installers? But this time, many people are concerned that the change will be so sweeping and happen so quickly that we won't be able to find enough jobs to fill the gap. Now, you can't have missed it in the recent election campaign. Politicians, economists and journalists telling us about the vital need for jobs. Preoccupation with the creation of jobs as a solution to the unemployment problem is at the top of the agenda of pretty much all sides of politics and economic thought. We by and large take the more jobs viewpoint as self-evident truth, which is understandable. In our world, you need a job to earn a living so as to survive. If there's not enough work available for everyone, then people suffer. But on the other hand, when I look around and see this world where overproduction seems to be one of our problems, and I can't but see an enormous contradiction in being told there is a need to create even more work for us to do. <coughs> the point is that in current economic thinking, unemployment is usually considered to be a production problem. That is, when there is not enough production going on to make use of all the available labour, you end up with some people left out of the whole economic cycle. The response to this is to try to create 
more work to absorb this excess labour, to maximise production. This is one of the main reasons we are compelled to continuously increase our production <coughs> so as to keep ahead of the growing pool of unemployed. But looked at from a broader perspective, unemployment is not a problem of production, but rather one of distribution. Even if output goes down, putting more people out of work, our enormously productive technology still goes on churning out more than enough for us all. From this perspective, when we look at our economic system's need for more jobs, it's clear we don't want them more jobs because we need to produce more. We need the jobs to give people access through wages earned to things that would have been produced whether they were working in their new jobs or not. So unemployment shouldn't be treated as a production problem. It is a distribution problem. How do we distribute the fruits of production when machines do more and more of the work. Two solutions to this are universal basic income and sharing the less work by reducing work hours. Now, and it hasn't always been a distribution problem. Back, back here, it was clearly a production problem. Now, when new, new machines took over one particular job, we thrived on the extra labour that was freed up. Because there were so many things to do that we didn't have the resources to do before. And it's not all production problem at that end and distribution problem at this end. And it isn't that there's no room for more production here. The point I'm making is that production, for the sake of distributing stuff that would already have been produced, is patently absurd. And that's what we do now. What would the situation be like now if working hours had not reduced so much? What would be happening if we were still working over 60 hours a week with four days off a year after public holidays? No retirement, just working until we could no longer physically manage it. The graph would look something like this. <coughs> this is how much work we would be doing, and this is how much we're actually doing now. Twice as much as we do now. We'd need to find a lot of extra work to fill that gap. If we couldn't find that extra work, we'd have an unemployment rate of around 50%. If we did find extra work, what would all that extra production do to our environmental problems? And how would we find time to make use of and enjoy all that extra stuff when we were working most of the time? What I'm trying to show with this scenario is the close relationship between technological advancement, unemployment and working hours in a world where new technology is constantly increasing our productivity, unemployment and lower working hours are really just two sides of the same coin. 
economists have a standard response to this type of concern about machines taking jobs. They call it the Luddite fallacy, named after the Luddites, um, the weavers at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution who went about destroying new weaving machines. The Luddites were wrong, say most economists. Yes, they would lose jobs for new technology, but new types of work would always rise to take their place. The actual effect of new technology on work is to create a virtuous circle of new jobs and ever-increasing living standards. According to the Luddite fallacy, there's no evidence over the long term that advancing technology has any negative effect on the availability of work. You repeat that. There's no evidence over the long term that advancing technology has any negative effect on the availability of work. Yeah. But what about that? <laughs> well, the 50% drop in available work over 130 years seems like clear evidence to me. <laughs> clearly, new technology does take away work. And clearly, that's something to be celebrated, not feared. It has taken away 50% of our work, and we're so much better off for that. The Luddite fallacy shows us where the problem lies. Economists are looking for something negative, unemployment, and they miss the great positive that's staring them in the face. As things stand, there are many impediments built into our economic system that prevent us continuing this process of sharing the benefits of our growing productivity. Too many to mention here, but back then, unions had more power to demand a share for their members. And lately, with the rise of the global economy, more and more the fruits of increasing productivity being going to the owners of the new machines rather than being shared between all stakeholders. My contribution to this discussion is that I don't think tinkering around with the economic machine will do the trick, while the driver of that machine is guided by a problem mentality. We've solved the survival problem a hundred times over. It just hasn't built it down into the economic mindset. Economists are still taught that the economic problem is based on scarcity and unlimited wants. In short, that my need for more and more stuff can never be satisfied, and therefore I have to compete with everyone else for a share of the limited pie. But technology has made that problem all but irrelevant. Now a real problem is how do we share this abundance with each other? Now I'm not proposing that work is bad and no work is good. What this is about is liberating work from the imperative to survive. Free from unnecessary production. Our time and creativity could be used to address real pressing needs like environmental sustainability and ending global hunger and poverty and that other great unaddressed need, personal fulfilment in work, leisure and community.